Hello, everyone. You're listening to In the Weeds, an agriculture podcast hosted by Monica Jean and the Michigan Field Crops team. All right, welcome back, everyone, to In the Weeds. My name is Monica Jean. I'm a field crops educator based in the southern central area out of uh, St. John's, Michigan. And we're here today on another lovely episode all around water quality farming. And uh, we're going to be talking about phosphorus some more today. I know we've had some other episodes, but we hope to kind of continue to get in the weeds about phosphorus and um, best practices for the farm. And so I have a co-host and a guest. Co-host Sarah, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Sarah Franzak. I'm the Environmental Management Educator with Michigan State University Extension. I'm based in Hillsdale County, but I have a statewide appointment. Marin, can you introduce yourself, please? Hi, I'm Marin McRae. I'm a professor at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada. I'm in the Department of Geography and Environmental Management, and my research and teaching specialize in hydrology and water quality, especially in agricultural systems. Well, I really appreciate you being here with us um, all the way from uh, Canada. I mean, I know this is on Zoom, but um, (laughs) it's (laughs) nice to talk to you. Um, Do you think you could tell us a little bit about what you do for a living? Sure. So as I said, I'm a university professor. And um, so that means that I have different things that I do as part of my job. So one thing that I do is teach. I teach students. Um, I teach them about water and water quality. Um, Another thing that I do is I train graduate students and I do research. And so um, graduate students come in and do experiments and Uh, original research to learn about water and water quality in the environment. And, um, and we publish journal articles that show um, results to stakeholders and others in the research community. And so that's a a big part of my research on water quality and agriculture. And then a third thing that we do um, as part of our jobs is sometimes we're editors for journals or we do, um, other types of administrative work to make, to improve the student experience at the university. Mm-hmm. Thanks. We're really interested in um, your agricultural research. Um, what got you into agricultural research? So I'm not actually a farm kid. I actually grew up in Northern and Southern Ontario, but I grew up in the city but I've always loved the environment and environmental issues. And I ended up for my undergraduate or bachelor's degree, and I took some physical geography courses, and I really found that I loved water. And the minute I started taking courses on water, I was essentially hooked. And, uh, and so I took that throughout my undergrad, and I liked research so much that I ended up doing a PhD and the project that I had the opportunity to work on was in agriculture. Um, And so really that introduced me to agriculture and that was maybe in the year 2000 or so, or maybe late nineties. And I have just really, I I loved agricultural water quality so much that I just continued on doing that throughout my career. You know, one thing that we both have in common is uh, Lake Erie. So we have one border and, and, you, and Lake Huron, 
to. In the Lake Erie Basin and now in the Saginaw Bay uh, in Michigan, we're becoming more aware of the impact um, our water resources um, are being impacted by harmful algal blooms. And I wondered if you could explain the role of phosphorus in this crisis. Absolutely. So phosphorus is really important. Certainly there are a lot of things that are important to algal blooms, things like phosphorus, nitrogen, even silica, organic matter. Everything needs these things to survive. So land plants, but also algae or or water plants, like aquatic plants. But the problem is that when we apply phosphorus and nitrogen to our fields, it doesn't stay put on the fields. And so the things, or they don't stay put on the fields. And so what happens is that these things that we add to the fields can travel off of the landscape in runoff or in drainage below the fields, and they can end up influencing the the plants and algae that might be growing in our rivers and lakes. So we're interested in, in phosphorus in particular, because it's what we call the limiting nutrient in freshwater systems. And that's really meaning that, you know, that in nature, these things are present in, um, in certain relative amounts. And phosphorus is one that's just, there's not a lot of it out there in comparison to say nitrogen or carbon. And so what ends up happening is that when you increase phosphorus, it can really spike that growth. Now, we think that more in the marine systems that nitrate is a bigger deal for the blooms that are happening in our in our marine systems. So um, essentially, when you add just a little bit of phosphorus, it can lead to a burst of growth and lead to these blooms. So so keeping as much of it on our fields as we can is, is pretty criti- critical. Yeah, that's where we want it anyway, right? And yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> So um, I'd read some of your papers about um, cover crops and how they can fit into this system. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So as I said a few minutes ago, we add things like phosphorus to our fields to help our crops, but it doesn't always stay there. So we're coming up with ways to hold on to that phosphorus and the and one way that phosphorus can often leave fields is attached to sediment through and and then it leaves through the erosion of that sediment or soil. And so, as I said, we're keeping, we're we're coming up with ways to hold on to that phosphorus and keep it on the fields. And so um, that phosphorus could be lost as particulate. So attached to those sediments or soil particles or in a dissolved form. And the dissolved form we worry about a lot, the dissolved reactive form, because it's the one that is, is most available to algae. So we're trying, really hard to keep it uh, on the fields because um, not just the dissolved phosphorus, but even the particulate phosphorus, because some of it can be bioavailable too. So the thing about cover crops is that they help hold that soil in place. They can hold on to some of those nutrients. They can reduce erosion and, uh, and keep that material on the field. So we've been looking at the impacts of cover crops on runoff phosphorus under different situations. And cover crops are a really neat thing because they, they protect our fields throughout the non-growing season. So let's say from October through April, April, um, when we don't have crops on our fields, but that's actually when most of our annual runoff happens, especially with snowmelt. Thanks. Um, One of the questions uh, that I have uh, about cover crops are, 
the importance or the impact of the frost kind of freeze cycle and phosphorus loss by cover crops, like the them losing the phosphorus that they were binding. Um, do you, have you done any work on that? Yes, actually, we've done a fair bit on that. So the problem is that when cover crops die because of frost, they, when they freeze or are frost killed, they can release that phosphorus. So they, they grow, they take up all of that frost or that phosphorus and they hold on to it. But when they are frozen and killed, they'll release that dissolved phosphorus and then runoff or surface runoff can pass over them on top of the fields and take all of that dissolved phosphorus into our tributaries and so they can make the problem worse. So this can be an unintended consequence of cover crops. The thing is that most of the evidence that shows this has been in more severe climates, things like the Canadian prairies or northern Europe. Whereas in the Great Lakes region, we do get some cold temperatures and we will get plunging temperatures, but we don't get the types of frost that they might get in the Canadian prairies. And often we have a lot of snow cover that insulates plants and, and maybe doesn't subject them to quite as severe a frost. So what we're finding is that yes, cover crops can be killed by frost and can release phosphorus, but it depends, number one, with how severe that frost is. So if you're in an area that has a lot of snow cover or gentle frosts, the risk of that winter phosphorus loss isn't great compared to, say, plunging temperatures closer to, say, minus 20 without any snow cover. But what we're also finding is that some crops can withstand these cold temperatures. And so we can optimize the kinds of plants that we that we use, the crops that we use. So maybe avoid some of those tender ones like oat or um, oilseed radish and opt for hardier ones like cereal rye or hairy vetch because they don't seem to be as impacted by frost. Um, so those are a couple of things that we can do. And then a another big feature that we found out is that, yes, although plants can release phosphorus, um, phosphorus in the winter, another feature that affects that is how much contact time those plants actually have with water. So if they're in a low-lying area of the field that tends to be it waterlogged in the springtime and where the plants would be sitting under water and steeping like tea, then the risk for that leaching of that phosphorus is a lot bigger. Uh, whereas in other areas of the fields that maybe get some runoff but tend to stay dry and don't get waterlogged, that risk isn't there so much. And, and then finally, when that water does contact the soil, what we find is that the soil is actually able in many cases to take up that released phosphorus by plants and hold on to it rather than seeing it leave the fields. So a lot of the work in, say, the Canadian prairies that that found that cover crops were causing bigger problems, they had colder temperatures, they had a lot of standing water on frozen soils for long long periods of time when they had lots of opportunity for those cover crops to release that phosphorus to that water. Whereas in our situation, it tends to be they don't 
probably don't release quite as much. They're not sitting waterlogged for as long. And chances are, by the when it is released, it's going to go into the soil and be held on to the soil more effectively here. So ultimately, I think cover crops are a good idea in the Great Lakes region. Well, I'm hearing you talk a lot about um, like waterlogged soils, but in the Western Lake Erie Basin and in the Saginaw Bay, we have a ton of subsurface drainage. Um, what should our farmers understand about the transport of phosphorus through those um, subsurface drains and tiles? Tiles can be a, a phosphorus pathway. So I think, I guess one of the big things is I would, I would say you want to manage in the surface and in the subsurface. So we have to look at both surface and subsurface runoff. And in our research, we're finding that maybe 80% of flow leaves in tile drains, but in some situations, certainly where maybe you're in the more hilly, loamy soils, less than 50% of the phosphorus losses goes through tiles and most of it is actually leaving in surface runoff. Whereas once you get down into northern, northwestern Ohio or Windsor, Essex, and in that, that clay plain area, that's where you might find that tiles account for the majority of phosphorus loss. And so we do find that the role of tiles does seem to differ depending on the landscape that you're in. But either way, we definitely have to manage in both the surface and subsurface because we certainly can't manage one at the expense of the other. That's a great point. Is there like, do you have like a pet peeve that people misunderstand about phosphorus export? Um, because uh, sometimes I get really irritated with people that, that want to do what you just suggested, where you, they want to sacrifice one thing for another. Is there something that you're like, if they just understood this, what would it be? <laughs> well, okay, I would definitely not call it a pet peeve. Okay. Um, but, but, <laughs> But um, I would say one place where maybe there was uh, some confusion is there's been a lot of discussion about tillage and tile drains. And so, like I said earlier, I would first caution people about trade-offs. So tillage or, or lack of tillage, so going to no-till, um, people went to no-till to reduce the erosion of their surface soils and keep that soil on the field. The problem is that one of the unintended consequences of that is that in tile drain landscapes, the phosphorus can then just go straight down through the tiles and out into the tributaries. So increased phosphorus losses in tile drains can certainly be an unintended consequence. Because of that, and because farmers are reading about this in the media, we get a lot of Ontario farmers asking us if they should be tilling up their fields because they thought that they were doing the right thing. So I guess the first thing I would do is say, remember the trade-offs. And that, that yes, you know, you may, you may be reducing phosphorus losses in the surface, but increasing it in your tiles. But if you till up your soils and reduce it in the tiles, are you actually going to increase phosphorus losses in your surface runoff? So I think one thing that we have to remember is where we live. And so in the, certainly across, as you start to get outside of those flat clay plains at the southwestern end, we start to get into more hilly, loamy terrain. And that's where surface erosion and surface runoff becomes a huge deal. And in those cases, I think surface runoff is probably the biggest problem. And the tile drains, I think I, think I wouldn't want to till up 
to, to lessen things going through tiles because I think it would worsen the situation from a surface runoff perspective. So again, it's, I guess for me, it's, it's a matter of, like I said, where you live and thinking about what is going to work on your specific farm based on where most of that phosphorus is going. And I think, I think one thing about tillage that we can all do, I do think no-till is a really good idea, but I think if you're going to do it, don't broadcast. Couple it with a subsurface placement or band, and I think that can solve a lot of issues. Right. Um, like part of the four R's, right? The right place, yeah. right time. Yeah. Getting those, um, getting that phosphorus uh, underground is a really great practice. Um, they're finding that in the Western Lake Erie Basin that they're making some really good um, progress with um, dissolved phosphorus um, just by doing that one practice. Um, yeah, absolutely. And we found the same thing here. We found like, uh, anywhere from 60 to 90% it can reduce your subsurface losses by just placing it in a band. And that's yeah. not just phosphorus, but nitrogen as well. And that's just amazing. I mean, who yeah, wouldn't really want to reduce their fertilizer losses 70%? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, <laughs> so one of the other issues that we're dealing with here is some just like crazy weather. I don't know if your weather is crazy, but ours is crazy. Like we have tons of rain in the spring. Um, and we're getting flooding and then we're getting long periods of dry weather and then really big rainstorms. And we're just seeing this happen more often in the Great Lakes. How do you think that is going to influence phosphorus transport? Yeah, so we're getting the same wacky weather here where we have some flooding, we have dry periods, and I think we have more and more unpredictable weather and more extremes. And I guess they say that at, that what, what we're finding and what scientists are, are showing is that, um, that, yeah, we are going to see an intensification of the hydrological cycle where we are going to see more wet-dry cycles and bigger extreme rainfall and bigger extreme events. And the thing about these huge events these are the ones in which most phosphorus is most phosphorus is lost like in any given year you might find that that 80 percent of the phosphorus losses actually occur through one or two or three of the 15 to 20 events that you might have and it's always the big events um, and so if we see more and more of these big events then it stands to reason that we're going to see increased phosphorus losses. So surface runoff, certainly here in the, as you go towards um, Midwestern to Northeastern Ontario, surface runoff is a huge phosphorus pathway, um, probably more important than the tiles from a phosphorus standpoint. And if we get more flooding, phosphorus is going to probably get worse. So we do may, need to make decisions on water quality for today, but also for the future. Yeah, it's important to think about the future and what kind of adaptations we can make to climate change and, and highly variable weather and, and try to make those um, you know, predictions and changes on our farm for the future. I really like your approach about, and we apply this easily um, on, on to other problems, but like the zone management, a really good way to address the phosphorus issue, the use of that cover crop, selecting a good species, depending on the characteristics of that soil and that field. And so I'm really appreciating um, your approach here, which is 
a farm's going to need to kind of look at their land, look at their soil type, their elevation and or change in elevation slope, right? And uh, prescribe these practices to do their best job at managing phosphorus. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly um, right. That's certainly what what I think as well. Um, I think that we have to be pretty strategic. I don't think it, I don't think it's realistic to expect people to do more and more and more things. I mean, this costs them time and money. So if we're going to get them to do three things or four things, make sure that they're the right three or four things for them. Uh, yeah. I, I, t- when I talk to people, I say you have to paint um, with fine brush instead of a broad brush and, and even from field to field, some of these recommendations um, should change. Yeah, um, I agree. Do you have an opinion about how we should um, change nutrient recommendations in the Great Lakes? Any, any further additions? Well, I'm a, a strong supporter of the four R's. Um, certainly, I think that the right rate, right place, right source and right time are important. And I think the right rate, right rate and right place in particular are things that I have focused in a lot on. And in terms of nutrient recommendations and applications, I think we do want to revisit our phosphorus recommendations and get a better handle on environmental and agronomic phosphorus levels in terms of those thresholds or tipping points. So how low can we go without a yield response? I think sometimes people will have elevated phosphorus as insurance, but that little even every little bit extra that they have in legacy P or extra P in their soil can make a huge environmental difference. So I do think that we need to revisit these things and see if and how they might differ throughout the watershed. Um, Certainly some areas are applying less. They've done some research on that. And and I I do think it is having an impact. Um, But in other areas, maybe we're not seeing that uh, same reduction. And so, you know, we maybe need to focus on this a bit more. Great. Um, So it seems like a big problem. And sometimes that can be daunting in our careers to work on big problems because you don't see a solution right away or you don't see results right away. So what keeps you working on this problem? Um, A couple of things. I mean, I love a good challenge and a good question and trying to solve problems really um, is something that I've always liked. It makes me happy. But what's really important about it is I want to I want to solve problems that need to be solved. I would never be happy if I was doing problem solving that was purely academic and didn't matter so much in the real world. And I think that water quality and in in agriculture, this issue affects a lot of people, uh, both people within the agricultural community and outside of that. And so it's an important challenge and one that that I really enjoy working on. And the other thing I think that keeps me going on this is the people, I found that the people within the agricultural community have been just amazing to work with. And I learn as much from them as they do from me. Uh, and, and so my love of learning um, and exchanging knowledge with people uh, is something that really keeps me engaged in this too. Great. I, I'm with you. I love working with farmers and, and working in agriculture. I love those people. They're my people. Um, <laughs> So if you had a billion dollars to spend on solving this problem, how would you spend it? 
It's a good question. Um, I don't think I would do one thing. I would do a bunch of things. Um, I, so I wouldn't put all of my eggs in one basket. I mean, one thing that I would work on is education and getting the messaging out there in terms of what works and why it works. And if things don't work, why they don't work. I would also give money to farmers to help them change what they're doing. Uh, they may know that that you know, changing practices would help them, but they maybe don't have the means to take that leap um, economically or take that risk. So whether that's an equipment purchase or risk insurance or incentives, whatever, I would definitely send money to, um, towards the farmers to help them make some of these changes. But also the changes take time. So I would be investing money in cleaning up areas that need improvement. So if we knew of areas in the landscape with higher legacy amounts, um, or like legacy P or point sources in the landscape that we know are a problem, things like maybe septic systems, I would invest money in those. And I think I would also continue to fund research um, and communication on how to improve our phosphorus management both from that agronomic and environmental side of things. So I would, I, I mean, I think I would spend it on a lot of the things that actually we're already doing, but I would just inject more because I do think we're headed down the right pathway. Wow, Erin, I think you just like read our minds. You, that was like our entire uh, plan for this podcast series. <laughs> this was so good. <laughs> Well, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. And just so if people want to follow you and get to know the work you're doing, do you mind sharing some of your social media contact or? Sure. So I'm on Twitter um, and my Twitter handle is um, at, so Marin M. So M-E-R-R-I-N-M. Hope to have you back sometime. Thank you. It's been great. This podcast has been brought to you by the MSU Extension Field Crops Team. For more podcasts or information, please visit us at canr.msu.edu backslash field underscore crops. Thanks for listening.